0: Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. How do you keep you know more as many people involved in the sport as there are now um, in the in the future when the when the when the places to hunt these birds are are shrinking?
1: It's hard to fault those guide services for making a living and making a business. A
0: lot of outfitters are doing you know a lot of good.
1: I fish. I hunt. And always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with (laughs) OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. We got a good one for you. We're going to talk about the future of waterfowl hunting. And is the commercialization of waterfowl good for duck hunting? Is uh, is what's happening with guide services good or bad? You could argue both sides of it. We got a really good discussion with Joe Genzel from Ducks Unlimited uh, coming up later in the show that you're gonna wanna listen to. We'll also talk to Joe Henry as the Lake of the Woods area transitions from that fall hunting time and the open water fishing season as the uh, resorts get ready for the hard water. We'll talk about what's going on up there right now and what you can go do if you want or what you need to do to prepare for the ice fishing season. And Dan and David have both been doing some deer hunting. We'll get their perspectives on what's going on in the woods uh, here in
2: just a second. But first, Dan, who are the sponsors this week? Live Target, match hatch at LiveTargetLures.com, Lake of the Woods Tourism, Lake of the Woods is the Walleye Capital. Plan a trip for this winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Habel Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at Habelheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts in January, but you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. All
1: right, David Eckhart joins us here on the show, too. David, how are you doing? Doing good. All right, welcome back. We haven't had you in the studio been for a while. while. It's been a while. It's good to have you back. You yeah. all done with the harvest? Yep, harvest is done. And The crop harvest, I should say. Now it's the animal harvest. Huh? Yes,
2: now it's time to chase deer and ducks and geese and everything else.
1: And you said you've been hunting for 11 days straight. Yes. All right. I want to ask you about that and how it's been going for you, Dan, you got to hunt the Minnesota gun opener. I want to ask you about that. Uh, as of this recording, I've probably finally climbed into a tree, but since, but this will be after we recorded this. So as of this recording, I have not deer hunted yet. I hope to this week. I just got Come back on. from a 10 day road trip, actually went out to Horcom Marsh and it's kind of this legendary historic waterfowl staging area in South east Wisconsin, uh, kind of south of Lake Winnebago, over in that Fond du Lac, uh, Waupon area. And it's and it's really neat. And here's what I learned while I was out there. There's not much for geese out there yet. And while it used to be this huge staging area, in fact, uh, Horicon had their own goose hunting zone. They don't have it anymore. And part of that reason is because the geese don't really go there like they used to. Obviously, there's still going to be some, but I'm hearing that from a lot of different historic, Goose staging areas. What's going on? We're going to talk about that with Joe Genzel here in a little bit. What I did see though were 10,000 sandhill cranes. So the eastern population of cranes is booming. You can't hunt them in Wisconsin yet. You can't hunt them in Minnesota, but anybody that drives through the central part of Minnesota or really anywhere in wisconsin from the northwest down to the southeast you know there are a ton of sandhill cranes around and uh, it was really cool seeing all those cranes out there got to see some whooping cranes which is really rare filmed it for the fish hunt forever youtube channel and learned a little bit about some of these whooping cranes that are out there and i'll put that on our youtube channel and you guys I i really wasn't too interested in pheasant hunting while I was over there at Horicon Marsh. What? You're not interested in pheasant hunting? <laughs> that doesn't sound like it. That weird? That's what I just heard. So they they release birds out there on the state side and offer public hunting opportunities. You know, and I'm not a, you know, I've been to game farms and it's it's got its place out there for pheasant game farms for, it's got its place in time, but it's not really for me. So I never really thought it'd be much fun to go shoot pheasants that are released out there at Horicon. well then i did it and learned a little bit more about it and it's uh they release birds every week so there's there's fresh birds um they don't obviously don't put them out right before you go or anything they do releases throughout the week and they do it throughout the entire season so guys can come in and there's new birds getting pushed around some of them survive some of them don't um but they get pushed around get a little bit more wily they're still pen raised birds they're not going to be as as uh you know, it's not as wild of an experience, but what I what I thought was really interesting is you pay ten dollars for a pheasant stamp in Wisconsin. Seventy percent of that goes towards habitat creation in the state so seven dollars of every ten dollars you pay for a pheasant stamp goes to creating habitat for a wild bird population which i think is fantastic and then three dollars of that stamp goes towards that release program so the released pheasant program is completely funded by the pheasant stamp so guys that are going out there and doing this are the ones paying for it which is perfect and it's only 30 percent of that pheasant stamp so having another 70 percent of that going to create habitat I think is a great program for Wisconsin and I know in some small pockets of the state they are growing some wild birds there's still it's still a lot of release birds around the area but uh, hopefully they can create more habitat and get a better wild and bird what
2: I'm getting from that is a hundred percent of it is giving back yeah this for this is awesome
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it was great. So we went out, we wanted to shoot one for this video that we were making out there at Horicon. And uh, <laughs> and I got a tip to go to one spot. And, and there's, there was two parking areas in this particular location. And they're like, go to the south one. Everybody parks in the north one. And the birds kind of get pushed south. So I went to the south one and I saw a pheasant. <laughs> I saw a rooster. <laughs> so I kind of knew where one was and I grabbed grabbed my gun and some cameras and, and grabbed Tiny and Mika actually. And uh, Tiny found it rather quickly and, and we got our bird and then went back to looking for waterfowl. And uh, we got to see, I mean, there was 150,000 ducks on the federal side. They say 150,000 mallards. I didn't see that many mallards while I was there, but there were Gadwall and Spoonies and widgeon. Uh, all sorts of all sorts of waterfall over there. So many gadwalls. So I got I, I I thought I just think I got some really cool footage of uh, some of these ducks. I'm really excited to share that on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. So go there and check it out while you're online. Make sure to follow us on social media as well. Sporting Journal Radio here on YouTube or Sporting Journal Radio on Facebook and Instagram. And Dan,
2: you put a poll up on our Instagram page today. I sure did. We wanted to look because we've been talking about deer hunting. That's the hot topic in Minnesota right now. And we wanted to know how deer season went for you guys. So I put up a poll on how it went for everybody. Well, let's see if I can do this here. Uh Uh-oh. And so let's see, what did people say? I don't know why we can't see the results. I'll find that here in a second. Um, Bottom line, people said that a majority of the people who responded to the poll said they have seen less deer this year Hmm. than last year. Um, Why that is? I don't know. I don't know if it's more pressure or bad winter or predators, Um, but that's what the consensus is. And I would say, I agree with that. I I saw one deer opening weekend and it was dead. My dad shot it. Weather (laughs) pattern, at least in our area is not helping either. What's that, David? I think the weather pattern in our area is not helping either. It's too warm or warm weather. Yeah. Just, I didn't see anything this weekend when I hunted. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. Nothing but it was warm and the cameras were all, all the deer were nocturnal.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: So Hmm. I don't know. All right. Different year. So
1: if you would like to, we'd like to hear from you, go vote in our Instagram poll. I don't know if that'll still be up by the time this
2: airs. I suppose that's on our story. Nope. Yeah, it'll be gone. All but right, well, just go there anyways. Check yeah. out our Instagram. You can watch. Uh, <laughs> right. We put up snippets of the show every week that you can go check out. and then uh, Or you just watch the full show and you don't have to do that. But go give us a follow on Instagram if you haven't. At sporting.journal.radio. Now, to be fair, I haven't really had much access to the internet uh, while I've been on the
1: road and traveling. But I definitely haven't seen as many pictures on social media. That's how I've been judging how it went for everybody. Is I just haven't been seeing a lot of pictures posted of, of nice bucks or dead deer in general. I've seen a few but it seems like it hasn't been as good this year.
2: There was a CO in our the area I hunt um, over the weekend, and I'd heard he checked over 100 people, and I think only six had deer. Jeez. Oh, wow. So hmm. pretty slow. It'll be fun to see the, the harvest report when it comes out whenever that comes out from the DNR on deer registered and all that fun jazz. I'm yep. sure they're probably compiling it right now. Maybe it'll be out by the time the show comes out, but mm-hmm. it'll be, uh, we'll be fun- we'll be sure to share those numbers. So check out uh, www.sportingjournalradio.com for all that fun info. We just put up a news story from the DNR about feral pigs. Go check that out. Yeah, something about feral pig sightings by the Canadian
1: border. Well, yeah. Is I, that in Minnesota? Do
2: we know? Maybe. I'd, I'd assume. Otherwise, what they're talking about is they're taking input on uh they're getting ready basically for the invasion of pigs it sounds like and released mink which is yeah. really odd i didn't know that was a thing
1: well people are like activists are going to mink farms yeah and
2: that's stupid. setting them all free sabotaging yeah. yeah but so they're uh getting ready for I you know what they're gonna do if we have a pig problem which uh by the sounds of it is probably inevitable oh i hope not we i, I hope not too no. but it's one of those things it's like invasive species is it it's probably coming, so let's get ready for it. Maybe it doesn't, but it's better to be ready for it than uh, just have a thousand pigs show up and we don't have a plan for it. But
1: we don't need it, and I've hunted them in no. Texas. David, I know you've done it. It's fun, the yeah, meat's it's good, blast. but I'll. The, the damage they do is ridiculous. We don't. So if you're listening or watching this and you're like, oh, dang, it'd be so much fun to have feral pigs to hunt around here. Don't, don't do it, man. Because that's what's happening is people are just taking them and releasing them. So they have, so they got something to hunt around there. It's like, it's a bad, bad idea. Don't do it. Saskatchewan has got feral pigs. And I'm wondering if these Canadian-U.S. border sightings are in North Dakota and they're worried
2: about them getting closer and closer to to Minnesota. It's very possible. I mean, the habitat... The landscape of the Manitoba border and Minnesota border is similar enough to the North Dakota-Saskatchewan border, North Dakota-Manitoba border that basically anything that's happening over there on the southern part is probably going to happen over here, um, at least on kind of the Manitoba side. Now that you swing over to the east and the Ontario side obviously is a little different. And if you saw a feral pig in the northeast border of Minnesota and Canada, that'd be... Interesting. Mm, yeah, <laughs> to, running <laughs> through running through the boundary waters, and there's pigs all around. That'd be weird. I'd like but. to see them trying to root through that soil that's non-existent. Yeah. That's the rock, sand. just oh, banging heads on rocks. Canadian
1: Shield. Yeah. Uh, Well, if you want to grow big deer, you got to manage for big deer. And I don't know if we'll ever do it again here in Minnesota because of CWD. But Iowa now has a new requirement this year that hunters who who harvest a buck must measure and report if the animal's main beam is above or below 14 inches. And it's not, you know, they don't have, it's not an APR restriction on what you can shoot. But if you shoot when you have to measure it and it helps them track and age the deer and it helps them track to see if they're growing big bucks down there. So is that something you guys would like to see here in Minnesota?
2: I would just better management. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be in. Honestly, I'd just be in favor of antler point restriction. I, you know, I've, I got passed on a really nice deer or not really nice, but what will be a really nice deer in a few years just this morning. And I looked at the body. I'm like, man, there's some big back straps on that. Mm-hmm. But then, it, you know, let it walk and I hope it survives, mm-hmm. but it might not. It might walk to the, it might be dead right now because the neighbor might've shot it or who knows. And it'd be nice to know. And granted that deer would have been, would be legal for as far as APR, but it, it'd be nice to know that some of these smaller, like young basket sixes and whatnot, will Those survive two and a half year old deer yeah and turn yeah. into nicer deer and I'll be honest I've been guilty of shooting young deer I like venison I want to heart you know I'm going to harvest venison but mm-hmm. when it's possible I'm all in favor of taking a doe instead of a, right. a smaller buck but at, at the same time I'm not going to fault people for trying to fill the freezer yeah that's how right. it's a hard t- but tough question but that's what
1: they're saying is like a 14 inch main beam is the difference between a one and a half and a two and a half year old deer is uh, what they were talking about a lot I, th- I guess down in Iowa, uh, Iowa Instagram. Iowa DNR's Instagram is where I saw that story originally. So if you want to learn more about how they're managing their deer down there, go give them a follow on social media. And to be fair, I haven't seen, you know, I was really worried about nice bucks or, uh, you know, bucks that could use another year getting shot by neighbors this year around here and i i haven't really seen that here too much yet so we'll see what happens after this uh, second weekend but so far it seems like uh the nice deer have gone and you know it's different also for kids if they want to yeah. shoot a, a smaller buck or whatever that doesn't bother me at or all older but, hunters too you yeah know? and older hunters yeah, uh, absolutely so but i would love to see some people let let deer grow yeah let bucks grow so uh but you do you and get out there enjoy it be safe uh good luck this uh next weekend we got a lot of discussion coming up we're going to talk fishing with joe henry here in a second and then we're going to get into a really interesting discussion with joe genzel from ducks unlimited about the commercialization of waterfowl hunting how it can be good how it's been bad and what the answer is to grow the sport and keep it uh Keep, it, keep numbers from declining. More coming up on Sporting Journal Radio. Live target the leader in match the hatch is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the live craw. The live craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. F-Tex winner the ultimate frog looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles two sizes and eight colors. And I cast an F-Tex winner the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers coming soon from live target Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's heights.com Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Hi, right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Uh, I'm Brett Amundsen, along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart over there. And now we're going to talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, it was a, a great trip up to Lake of the Woods again last week. We did a bunch of walking for grouse. Uh, we did some layout boat duck hunting. We didn't do any fishing. I can't believe it.
3: Yeah, well, you know what? I'll tell you, though. It, it's kind of, it's real life this time of year. You know, I mean, uh, are the fish there? Yep. Are they biting? Absolutely problem is you got deer hunting you got six inches of snow on the ground up there that sucks people out you do have some ice on some back bays up at the northwest angle Young's Bay I know you showed a video I had some some ice people are pulling their boats some of the back bays on the south shore um, and, and even on the rainy river the back bays are getting iced up there there are some accesses on you know uh, both on the lake to get there and, and, and uh, the river but it just makes it more difficult people are in the woods people are looking forward to ice fishing I mean it's just that part of it now I tell you this just watching social media some of the guides a lot a lot of the people that are fishing right now are guides just fun fishing and yeah they're out they're all doing real well fishing you know I know uh I can, I won't mention names but I mean a, b- a bunch of them are out in fact they're catching walleyes on the river and they're also catching some nice sturgeon too mm-hmm.
1: and I heard that um the muskie fishing particularly up at that up at the angle up there was was really good this year and uh I heard that there was a
3: lot of people chasing them this year up there too yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, fall, I mean, you know, fall's that time that uh, the muskies, like all the other fish, put the feed bag on. You know, you get uh, you get them uh, um, isolated in certain areas, such as neck down areas where they're current, they're chasing the tulipies. You, you control form more successfully this time of year. So just, and you get some big fish, you know, those fish are big. So a lot of good things for the muskie anglers this time of year. Um, I'll say though, it's interesting. It's kind of cool because we know right now, I mean, anybody that's been on that lake knows that across that whole South shore in different spots, Pine Island, I mentioned some areas, Pine Island, you know, Morris Point, um, Zipple Bay, Long Point, that whole area, there's different pockets and nice schools of walleyes chasing emerald shiners. And those fish are out in about 22 to 26 feet of water. That's That bodes very well for early ice. Um, you know, and, and where we put our houses, those fish are gonna hold there because there's bait, we believe. They do most every year. And it should be some good early ice fishing. You know, we normally get our, on, Mother Nature determines, bread, but mm-hmm. um, on average, we get our day houses out, the ones that you don't sleep in, um, usually about December 10th, give or take. Uh, sp- people that like spear fishing for pike, They'll get on those back bays at the end of November. And, uh, you know, we do have a few resorts that even do the the spearfishing if a person doesn't have the equipment or the know-how. And so there are some nice opportunities that'll be coming up here pretty darn quick. Yeah, this is kind of the transition time. I know for a lot of the the resorts up there,
1: um, a lot of them are open for lodging. So if you wanted to go up and fish or uh, grouse hunt or duck hunt or or whatever the case may be, uh, you got some lodging opportunities. But I know a lot of them kind of close down and clean their clean their kitchens, do a deep clean in the kitchens, and give some staff some time off as they gear up for ice fishing because because <laughs> that's that's a busy time of the year for them up there.
3: Oh man, well, and you know, you you you, you know we. Like anything in life, there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes that people just don't realize with anybody and anybody's work or career. And you know, with the resorts, I mean, my goodness, think about fish house maintenance. You're taking out some of the uh, fish houses, you're fixing up others, you're painting them. You're, you're it, there's so much to do with just a fish house. And then you're bringing in new fish houses. You're, you're looking at your light ice rigs, your light ice trailers. Um, if you have bombers or track rigs, you run during the year. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at your plow equipment and. And just I mean, there's so much. You know, are you stocked up with parts when your plow plow trucks go down? Um, I mean, it's just so many things to consider, and that's just on the outside. You know, what about what about on the inside with the, the restaurant, the lodging, staffing? You know, I mean, marketing, promoting. I mean, there's just it, it's a, a running a resort or a, or a hotel or a lodging business. There's a lot of moving pieces, and I really, really give resort owners across Minnesota, certainly Lake of the Woods, a lot of credit. They wear a lot of hats. They work their tails off. I made a comment to one of our resort owners recently. Do you like this time of the year? Kind of a in-between season, and I wasn't suggesting that they don't work. I was suggesting more of the deer hunting time and stuff, and he says, huh, I'm working harder now than I do during the year practically. Oh, boy. Getting wow. and ready. And, <laughs> and that, that is true. There, there's always something to do at a resort. So, um I know
1: some of the bars and restaurants are, are closed for, for cleaning and transition and things like that. And w- when do they historically start to open back up and, and get people out
3: ice fishing and things like that? Usually the beginning of uh, beginning of December is when they start opening up again. And then, you know, as far as ice fishing goes, I mentioned they get the day houses out, you know, around December tenth. So, you know, if they open up right around that first part of December, people that come with four-wheelers or ATVs or snowmobiles and uh, their own collapsible fish houses, you know, they can get on the ice just even a little bit earlier than that. You know, I also, I say this every year, but, you, you know, these resorts, they're out there staking their trails or their ice roads. They know where the good ice is. They know where the bad ice is. They know where the good ice formed. They know where the cracks are. They know where the springs are. They know all this stuff. So what they do is they mark and stake and groom and flood and chop down ice and do all this stuff today, to make sure that that marked trail is uh, gonna be a safe way of passage. You know, what you don't wanna do is think, hey, I'm gonna save 10, 15 bucks and go on my own. That That's not a good good thing to do. Yeah. I'm not saying it because of the measly 10 or 15 bucks. I'm saying just common sense, safety. Uh, also stay on the trail. You know, don't, don't think, hey, I'm gonna go off the trail and I'm gonna go and get off all ball myself. It's gonna be better fishing. You, know, you do that and you can go into an area that's uncharted and, and you just, you don't know what you're gonna run into. That's when people get themselves in trouble is when they go off the marked trail, they don't listen to the suggestions of the outfitters. But normally what they'll do, Brett, is they'll have a, a nice trail marked out to some good fishing area where they know where the fish are. And then you can spread out and um, just communication with, with them is super helpful. I'm surprised Argos aren't more popular up there. You know, something that yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's a, I, I don't know enough about Argos and, and specifically, but I can tell you this, that um, I don't know if it's because of uh, um, the speed, the cost, the, the short use, the short period of time that you would use them in the early ice. You know, I don't know what why they don't use them, but um, I can tell you this, that uh, so many resorts we have up there, these these men and women are resourceful. If there is a piece of equipment, they've probably tried it. They're not afraid to buy it and they're using what works the very best. I'll give you an example. Uh, some, some people use those track rig kits they put on wheels of a, a S, SUV or something. And you know, th- those are good in certain applications, but many of our resorts that run you know, uh, bombers and also uh, track rigs, they, they kind of learn that that small footprint of, of that track over a wheel You know, that that can fall into a crack and get stuck or it can break or whatever the case was. You got those long tracks, those long skis of a track rig or a bomber, and it can float over all that stuff, no problem. Plus it disperses the the weight on the ice so nicely versus having those pressure points. So that's one example of things that have been tried and, and for what they use them for, transporting people and such, it's just worked better to go a different direction. But they've tried it, man, over the years. The transformation of ice equipment. I mean, they've used those great big machines with the huge tires they used to use up in the tundra in Alaska, so that they wouldn't hurt the uh, the environment up there. They've used those. They've used hovercrafts. They've. I mean, they've tried so many different things, and they're using what they're using for a reason. Do you want to talk about where you're headed today? Um, well, I'm just heading down to St. Paul. I have to do a little bit of a testifying on behalf of the tourism industry in Minnesota. I'm. Uh, I'm on a board of directors for both uh, the Minnesota Association Convention and Visitor Bureaus as well as uh, Hospitality Minnesota. And, you know, one of the things we, we fight for and advocate for is, you know, tourism in Minnesota. And uh, every once in a while that might mean you know, I have to go down and testify to, to make sure that our lodging tax stays intact and, and different things like that. So I, uh, uh, you know, one, today's one of those days I have to put a suit on and shoot down to the Twin Cities and wear a different hat myself. And, uh, and then of course I'll get back to uh, you know, Lake of the Woods and and uh, everything that it has to encompass. Well, good
1: luck in the Twin Cities. We'll be praying for you.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what, what aspect is it that I'll do well, that I'm safe? What, what, what aspect of that, friend? You well. Let
2: your imagination take
3: over. Well, I knew I'd get Danny going on that one, boy. I know I'd wake him up. Uh, well, and you lived there for
2: 18 years. The flashbacks come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: Joe. If people want to plan a trip to Lake of the Woods. What should they do?
3: You know what? Hey, check out our website, and that is lickofthewoodsmn.com.
1: Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round, world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. Did you know there are more than 1000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. All right. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the radio network by demand, SportingJournalRadio.com, or maybe watching this on YouTube. Make sure you like it, share it, subscribe to our channel. We've got a really interesting discussion for you right now. As everyone tries to figure out the next step in the outdoor world when it comes to recruiting hunters, declining license sales, improving habitat, what, what's the right answer what's the right strategy and approach? Is it a mixture of a number of things? Probably, is it's not a one size fits all. What works here may not work here and what works here may not work here, And but maybe this works in both places. And, and it, it's always interesting trying to find the answers and we're constantly gonna be looking for those answers as the landscape is ever changing. And one thing that I've been talking about a lot lately is access. You know, when it comes to hunter recruitment, hunting opportunities, things like that, to me, having access for hunters is the number one most important thing. Now, a lot of those other things are important as well, too, um, recruitment, things like that. But having access is the most important thing. And I came across an article in Outdoor Life recently written by Joe Genzel from Ducks Unlimited, and, and I met him at the Aglow Conference in Brainerd Bemidji this year. And uh, I said, I got to have you on to talk about this because this is a pretty interesting uh, story. The article was called, Are There Too Many? Uh, Here it is. Is a commercialization of waterfowl good for duck hunting? And there's pretty interesting points uh, on both sides of that discussion. And Joe joins us right now here on the show to talk about this article that he's written. Joe, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me, Brett. You bet. Thanks for coming on, because this is a really important topic. As somebody that's worked on the guiding side of things and has also done a lot of freelance hunting, I do a lot of traveling, so I hunt in a lot of other states, sometimes freelancing, sometimes going with guides. You know, sometimes those outfitters bring us in to to film and create some marketing materials for them. So we, we've we seen, you know, both sides of this discussion. I'm not even going to call it an argument. I'm going to call it a discussion. I've seen both sides of it. And uh, to, to really, we, I think we could really spend a lot of time digging in to this discussion. Um, but what, where did this article come about? Where, why did you decide to write this
0: article? Um, well, I think I, I wrote it uh, a few years ago. I was still uh, working at Outdoor Life. And I, I think like a lot of it stems for me from coming from a place where there um, isn't a ton of access. So I, I live in, um, Illinois. Um, and we just, uh, I, like, I, I grew up being able to hunt the Illinois river, um, which was completely, you know, public when, when I was a kid. Um, but now in, into my, uh, my forties, um, you basically like pretty much have to belong to a club, uh, to hunt the Illinois river, because the, if, if you, the, the property line extends out to the channel now so um any kind of uh you're not even like even if you're a a, an angler you can't um uh anchor your boat you know or yeah or else it's considered trespassing you know so you can't even hunt you know from a boat blind right um uh legally uh that that doesn't mean like some people don't you know try um and do it anyways because they know Illinois just doesn't have that many conservation officers uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think the, the, like where I grew up and like where I came from kind of um, just because I, ha- I haven't been able, because I'm not surrounded by a lot of uh, public land um, was one of the reasons why. Um, but also like, like you guys, um, I've been able to hunt, you know, around uh, the country and kind of see like what has happened in, in different states in terms of, you know, outfitters, um, you know, leasing up, uh, properties, um, and like, and, and my, my great, right, like, I don't, you know, I, a lot of outfitters are doing, you know, a, a lot of good, right. uh, for, for ducks, you know, I mean, any outfitter that's creating habitat, you know, that's, that's important stuff. It's expensive to create wetlands. So, like I don't, I don't begrudge anyone that's uh, that, that's doing that. Um, I guess at the at the same time, it's just you. A, a lot of my a lot of my buddies like grew up in these uh, rural areas in like Kansas, Oklahoma, um, and, and and basically like they just kind of lost out on those places to hunt because um, there's like just this infatuation with you know, getting 10 or 15 guys in a field and, you know, killing 100, you know, lesser Canada's. It's just like uh, they've basically just kind of like lost out on their, um, you know, their their boyhood spots. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of like dive a little bit, you know, deeper, deeper into that. You brought up a good point
1: that a lot of these guide services are creating habitat and that's kind of the. the, the capitalist model, right? Where pe- private businesses are creating jobs, are benefiting habitat, benefiting wildlife at maybe the expense of some of the people that can't afford to do it. And that's obviously the, the negative impact of it, but we're not relying on some state agencies to take our tax dollars take everybody's tax dollars or license sales dollars uh to go try to create projects we all we all know how it is when the government's involved it doesn't always go the right way it doesn't always go the best way sometimes it takes forever sometimes sometimes they do great work of course but you know being able to let you know private Entity or private citizen uh, business be able to create some of that habitat is good. But then you run into a problem where you hear guys in the South talking about all this habitat being created in the middle part of the migration, short stopping birds or leasing up all the land that. Uh, you know, some of the freelancers used to hunt. You know, you hear the same argument in deer hunting too, that bull hunters are, are leasing up all the land or hunting all the land and keeping it private and you can't go knock on the door down the road anymore to, to deer hunt. A lot of that is happening with waterfowl too. So, um, you know, trying to trying to figure out what the
0: right answer is, it's a it's a difficult question, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is because, I mean, I, and, I, and, I, and I like, I think the answer is different for, like depending on, on where you live. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I, I live in, in Illinois and it's not really an outfitter problem, it's an access problem. There's, there's just not that much uh, property here to hunt. Um, uh, like, you know, good, and I, what I would call like good duck hunting unless you like have a considerable amount of money uh, to pay uh, for, for those for those properties or invest in a club. Um, you know, m- like my workaround is, you know, I, I border a lot of other great lake states, there's a lot of public land around the great lakes. And so like, I kind of look at my calendar, um, pay attention to the, to the weather and, you know, go to some of those places, you know, maybe two, three times a year, uh, to have, you know, a couple, a couple good hunts, uh, e- each time. Um, and then like, I have, I have a, a couple of, you know, places here that when the weather is like absolutely, you know, perfect, um, you know, we can do, do pretty well. So just kind of a, I I mean, like you said, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to know, like if you, you know, if you live in Oklahoma, um, or Kansas or North Texas, like I, I, I don't like it's, it's, it's just tough. I mean, like I like I've hunted southeast Kansas for several years with one of my one of my buddies, Um, and you know the the river systems are still pretty accessible in in some areas, but also like you have to have all that gear, Um, you have to know what you're doing, right? Um, And there's and there's only like certain times a year where you can really shoot, uh, mostly like you're it's mostly going to shoot mallards, um, on, on on the river, you know, it has to be you know, cold and everything else has to be locked up. And I mean, so it's just, it's just tough it is
1: really tough and waterfowling is not a cheap sport to freelance in you need all the gear and if you want to chase divers you need diver gear and and boats and waders. if you want to hunt in the field you need field decoys and layouts or a frames you you need specialized gear for the type of waterfowl hunting you're going to do so i know a lot of guys that maybe they've got a little bit extra income they have no problem paying a guide uh, to go do it because it's a small investment Compared to the larger investment, particularly if you don't have enough time to justify that expense of buying all that equipment yourself, and like we we just went on a layout boat hunt up at the Northwest Angle, and it, it was 15 degrees out. Like I'm not going to go do that. I, you know I'm not. Dan and I went and do that. Dan, are you going to go buy a layout boat and go up to the angle and it's 15 degrees outside? No, no, no. I'm
2: uh, very happy to just. Uh pay
1: someone <laughs> to take me out and do that. Right. You know, and they had uh it was Forrest He and Andy Rees, and you know they got a duck tune as a tender boat and then Forrest has his brand new uh, you know, Lund with what a two fifty on it or whatever it was. That, yeah, probably like a three fifty. <laughs> Might have been a three
2: fifty. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a four hundred motoring yeah. us in and out. We wow. flew.
1: You know, so uh but at the same time when I moved to North Dakota in two thousand I remember talking to uh, some new friends that I made when I moved out there that were North Dakota residents that had water, you know, grown up as hardcore waterfowlers. And I was like, oh, Devil's Lake, man, what a great place to go hunt. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty tough to freelance up there now because of the guide services. And it's hard to fault those guide services for making a living and making a business, particularly when it's legal to do so. But as a freelancer, I'd never went anywhere near Devil's Lake so Mm -hmm. you know when you're talking about a big historic staging area for waterfowl it's it's tough when you miss out on that opportunity so it's a tough question
0: yeah and like that that's honestly i mean why uh, one of the reasons like i just hunt by myself a lot of times just because you know it's easier to get you know a decent hunt in you know like i you know and i i i don't i hate to say that because you know you want to bring like more and more people into the sport but like for me like personally where i where i go it's it's really like not it's really not going to be like much of a hunt for more than one person um now like i like i've definitely taken people and be like hey like you're just like you're just going to shoot you know um but i can't take like four guys in there because there's just not like it's just not going to be much of a hunt you know i could take you out there and you know show you the sunrise and you know, you could watch some ducks, you know, work into other people's uh, wetlands, but um, like, like you said, it's just like, it's hard to find that, it's hard to find stuff like that when it's just not very accessible. Um, and I, you know, I, I think we had you know, talked about uh, beforehand too, is, you know, you know, like being a parent and trying to take your kid um duck like duck hunting you know i don't know what like when i grew up my, my dad could take me to like a farmer's pond that had a couple you know a couple what 20 ducks on it and we could have like a pretty fun fun morning um that's like just getting harder and harder to do um because you know people are leasing up ground that those cattle tanks are on you know they're not after necessarily after those 20 ducks but you know, they, they have, they have the permission they've given, you know, they've paid the farmers, you know, so much per gun. Um, so they're not going to let, you know, you just come in there and, you know, shoot it, shoot it, shoot a couple birds. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to see what's happened to some of those areas too. You know, I just spent time out at uh, Horcom Marsh. Mm. You know, historic staging area for Canada geese. Um, I live around, you know, I I spend time around Lack Parle Refuge in western Minnesota. You talk about some of these areas. In fact, uh, you were in this article, you're talking about the Illinois River, which used to be a big, um, big area for Canada geese. And a lot of these areas, Rochester, Minnesota. I mean, a lot of these areas are getting harder and harder to hunt. And some of it is changing habitat conditions, maybe power plants closing, whatever the case may be. But there's obviously also been a lot of hunting pressure in those areas, whether it be you know state blinds or farmers putting just blinds up on hillsides for pass shooting blinds, or guide services leasing up around those areas. What what do you think? And then you can get into the discussion if if. Birds are staying in Canada longer because of more food sources. And then when things freeze up, they're getting pushed by major weather events. And in our case, being in Minnesota, sometimes those same weather events come through Minnesota. So if they're getting pushed out of Canada by weather, they might be getting pushed right out of Minnesota, too, as the same front comes through. So, mm-hmm. you know, wh- how do we address issues like that?
0: Um, you know, like I, it, I again, like it, it, <laughs> it's, it's difficult you know to to say but like you you just kind of have to be like as a hunter more migratory you know um you like you just have to be willing to to travel if you um you know want to get on good duck hunts a lot of the times or if you want to sustain it you know um or you just have to be happy with you know what what you get in the in yeah. the in, in the window that you do i mean I, it, it is, it's just a, like I, I grew up here where, um, you know, Fulton County is about 20 minutes from me. It was a huge area for Canada geese. There is a, you know, a power plant there that kept everything open. Um, you know, you get, you know, upwards of 250,000 like Canada geese uh, at the height of the, of the migration. Um, and there's, a, you know, a pit in every field. Um, like now, now it's a, a, a ghost town, you know, nobody like here field hunts for Canada geese. I mean, I sold, I finally sold my, uh, honker decoys like this year after, I mean, I hadn't been in a, like, I haven't field hunted in probably, you know, seven or eight years. Um, and like, you know, guys drove down from the suburbs of Chicago to, to come get them because like, that's, they don't really, you know, go any further, further South, uh, the matter if they do, they, you know, they don't come to, you know, they don't come to Peoria, um, any, anymore. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you, I think you just have to be, you know, more adaptable, uh, you know, to, to to the migration and, you know, be, be willing to, you know, go where they go. And I mean, not everybody can do that, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the tough, you know, tough part about it is, you know, how do you, um, how do you keep you know more as many people involved in the sport as there are now um, in the in the future when the when the when the places to hunt these birds are are shrinking
1: that's so interesting because everything you know we've been talking about that here in western minnesota for a while now and when, when i first moved out here about 10 11 years ago we'd still get you know 50 60 70 80,000 canada geese staging up out here and now, I mean, what have we been at, like 10,000, something like if that? If we're lucky. If we're lucky, we get like 10,000. And that's all happened in the last 10 years. And when I was out at Horicon this past week, they all were saying the same thing. In the last 10 years, everything has changed. And now you're saying in the last 7, 8, 10 years, whatever it's been, things are changing down there too. So, are we? It, you know, is it hunting pressure in these areas? Are the birds dispersing? Are they using cities, which are essentially giant refuges more often? Are they migrating later or what... I mean, I'm starting to sense a. I'm starting to see a pattern here. I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like. I I honestly, you know, couldn't. You know, say. I I think it's a. You know, a combination of things. It can be. You know, hunting pressure. You know, lack of lack of habitat. Um, I like. I I honestly, I, I mean, to to me, the place where you where you have the most success on big Canada geese is in, in suburbs and like outside of cities, like golf courses. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean like the the biggest like concentrations I've seen of Canada geese in the last, like, I don't know, like big Canada geese uh, in in the last 10 years is probably like out on long Island. Hmm. Um, There's an, um, there's like an, there's an amazing, you know, population of Canada's out there, but again, super hard to hunt them because you know, there's like one there, there's like one or two outfitters out there that like actually like has a, you know, uh, a house you can stay in and all that stuff. And, and and even so, like the access is just so, so minuscule. Um, and pe you know, people don't want you, you know, it is a lot of golf course, like hunting, um, out, out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I, I couldn't like give you a, um, you know, I, I it, there there are people that will like say oh it's this it's this i mean i think like you're saying it's a combination of things i mean not like we don't get the uh like the cold winters you know like we like we used to like whenever like there are we have a lot of strip mine lakes you know uh, mm-hmm. west of here and you're talking to like 150 foot lakes so deep and you know when i like when i was a kid and in high school you know, th- those, those lakes would actually freeze. Um, so it got, you know, cold, wow. like it was like sustain like, you know, it got cold enough to where that, that all would freeze. And when that happened, like then, you know, all those geese would concentrate on that warm water from the power plant discharge. And it was like, you know, a, just a gauntlet for them every single day. Um, cause they're going to have to come out there, you know, they're coming out once a day to, 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 to feed, um, you know, and there's a, a pit in every field. Hmm.
1: Well, and, and say what you want about hunting ducks on the water. But one thing I will say about Minnesota is we, we do have a lot of public lands, wildlife management areas where you can hunt sloughs. Uh, and obviously we got 10,000, 11,000 lakes, whatever it is, which is which is all public water and our water is publicly owned here in Minnesota. So that's, it's really interesting what you said about water ownership in Illinois. And, um, and I want to ask him to uh, expound on that a little bit, because I had an interesting conversation with Mark Kackage at Horicon here this past week. And he said that back in the day, Horicon Marsh had a couple of duck clubs on it. And back then they owned part of the water mm. and somebody challenged that and he went, I think he was on Mar- the old marsh skis and he was going <laughs> across the marsh or maybe he was in a boat. I can't remember. And he went out through the water into somebody else's and the one of the other duck clubs called the co on him and they tried to find him. And I think he took him to court and it, it set a precedence for water rights, which is used in a lot of cases, in a, I guess, in a lot of other areas now, he was saying. So for, for you to be especially for you to be that close to, you know, that close to Horicon and have yeah. water rights the way that they are down there, that surprises me.
0: Yeah and it's it's different on like different parts of the Illinois River and then there's also like other like auxiliary like rivers that flow into the Illinois north of here um and you can hunt some of those um but like b- basically like there's some there are state state owned uh like WMAs here and you you draw for those every every summer So like when I I was a kid, uh, and I still hunt, I still hunt them, um, and, and draw with a, with a group of, uh, buddies every year. But so like when I, when I was a kid, my dad would take me there and like 10,000 people would show up for 26 blinds. Um, now, yeah, not now, like maybe 1500 people show up. Like we, like our group draws like multiple blinds, uh, 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 every year. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. They, they do a similar thing at real foot in Tennessee Mm. now um but for the the, the and, and that's basically your river river access um but i like i don't <laughs> i don't understand like why you know I, I don't understand a lot of things that illinois decides to do. <laughs> but um I, I i don't i don't know why that rule like you know the, all you know all of a sudden you know somebody decided to you know I- implement that rule um and i don't know we also have it's 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 confounding and and confusing uh you know even even for me there's even if you own the property that's that borders the water like if there if you have neighbors that are within like 300 feet of where you'll or 300 yards of where you'll be hunting you need to ask them for permission too oh wow yeah, it's it, I don't know if it's if it's if that's the exact like yardage but it's it's something uh like that because is we, that a, a safety issue then I, I I mean I have no I I I guess um <laughs> but but I mean I I think it's just like you know it, it, it's just like kind of another like hoop you know, that you
1: have to, that's so wild. And I, through. I mean, I guess if I owned the land, I was going to say, I'd be great. Cause I would love to own the water in front of my place, but yeah. if you were fishing the river and I don't know what kind of, you know, fishing is good there or not, but if you were fishing that river and you got on a hole for walleyes or catfish or whatever the case may be, and you want to anchor up and some guy starts yelling at you, get off of my,
0: <laughs> get off of yeah. my river, you know? Yeah um well yeah i know that i mean well number one like uh this this year was like the first year in my lifetime that the idnr decided like made it safe to eat fish from the illinois river every day like you weren't supposed to eat it like more than three times a week or something like that Mm -hmm. um mercury yeah Um well and and also uh there this is a a, like you could probably you know make another entire another podcast out of this but um uh the 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 flow of the chicago river was reversed um i don't know how many how many years ago so that like all of chicago's crap (laughs) essentially like flowed downstate um into the into the illinois river so um they've actually done like a pretty you know good job of of cleaning it up um but the it, it's also like been uh like silted in too because like mm-hmm. all the all the trees have been cut to the you know to the to the river bank um and you know fields tiled um and, and all that water it's like when it rains it's just basically pours in yeah dumps sure. it in so all right um, we, for our radio
1: network, we got to let you go. Uh, but we're going to continue this conversation with Joe Genzel from Ducks Unlimited on the podcast. So if you're listening to this on the radio, go to our YouTube channel or download the podcast at SportingJournalRadio.com. So what what do you think? I'm sure you've done some hunting in, in Canada. You know, Manitoba changed some non-resident restrictions mm. and this past year. Went to a, a lottery, which I've been told was going to be a guaranteed draw for the foreseeable future, but I I just, I don't have any, I I don't know. I don't know how many people applied for tags this year. I haven't looked into numbers at all, uh, but I'd be curious to see how that goes. And I was worried about other provinces, say Saskatchewan uh, following suit. I don't know if they're going to now or not, but... I I have no problem with protecting, you know, I know Kansas changed some non-resident stuff. Uh, Nebraska Mm -hmm. and South Dakota have for, I think for Turkey and some archery things. I have no problem protecting the residents and their opportunity to hunt and and creating access for the people that live, work there, pay taxes, et cetera. I have problems with guys like us who are able to go say to Manitoba or Saskatchewan for multiple trips. You know, yeah. maybe most guys can only go for, first seven days. If they're going to limit you to seven days in Manitoba, that's probably great for the majority of hunters, but for guys like us that can make multiple trips and, and might spend, I mean, we spent, I think our trip to Saskatchewan this year, I spent like three grand or something in the province. Mm-hmm. So if I can do that in one trip and I can come back for another trip, you know, that's just money that they're going to miss out on. And they're not, it's not like a, a whole bunch more hunters are coming in. Now, if you want to keep me from leasing land while I'm there, fine. Uh, You want to keep me from running an outfitter business while you're up there, that's fine. But if I can come up and and hunt multiple times, that's probably the most important thing for a guy like me. Um, In Canada, the outfitter system is different. And in the States, as you know, every state manages their outfitters a little bit differently. Some need to be licensed. Some need to be insured. Some guys are just fly by night. Some guys just run under the radar no matter what. Mm-hmm. Maybe the answer is a better way of regulating those outfitters. Now, I'm not all for more regulations, more restrictions, more taxes, more government. But the way Canada does it, maybe that's the answer we need moving forward where a certain area can only have so many outfitters and those outfitters can only have so many outfitting days in that area. And maybe that would help solve this problem a little bit.
0: Yeah. Like in the, you know, the, the first thing you, you talked about is like, is Canada, you know, regulating, uh, you know, uh, like not non-residents essentially, you know, Americans from uh, like, how, you know, how much they can, um, they, they can hunt there. And like, I, I definitely, you know, like get that you know, but like on the other, on the flip side, you know, Minnesota, Minnesota uh, duck hunters have such a tradition of going to Manitoba, you know? Um, And that, and I think that that stinks that like that's in in jeopardy, you know? Right. Um, Because, and, and also, you know, American dollars like go to support, you know, the Canadian prairie through that through fall flights program and, Um, like, so your state duck stamp, you know, your state sends a certain amount to, uh, you know, to Canada every single year to, um, help preserve habitat up there. So, you know, you can make the argument. It's like, well, you know, we're all like, we're also, you know, we're paying to, uh, to preserve the prairie. And then you're going to like restrict us on, you know, what we can't, how, like when we can and can't hunt up there. Um, So I definitely understand like people's, uh. You know see, seeing a problem with that um but also like i don't you know i don't think any of us or many of us want the, those western provinces to you know turn into like what kansas or oklahoma has right. become you know like we always want to be able to um you know go up there and and, and enjoy like all the fruits that you know canada offers for um a a duck hunter um so i don't know it's 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 another you know (laughs) another issue that doesn't have an easy answer because there if you you know if you allow um non-residents to freelance hunt up there there's gonna be there are gonna be people that like just run hunts, you know, without, without a license, um, uh, w- w- you know, w- without adhering to the restrictions Canada puts on, on outfitters. Um, and I, and I think like, you know, that's, that's one of the, the reasons Man- Manitoba kind of implemented, um, uh, the rules that they, they right. did. Um, so yeah, it's, it's another like just tough, Uh, situation that doesn't have you know an easy answer to it but like in in terms of regulation like I definitely think every state at least needs to know like how many outfitters they have in their state you know like if if you are an outfitter like if you ask somebody at the DNR in Kansas like how many outfitters are there in Kansas they can't tell you because there's no there's no license, you know, if you have a hunting license, you know, you can be an outfitter there. So like, they don't, they, they don't even, so they have no clue, like how many guys are out there guiding clients, um, which I, that's just not, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of like some of those, you know, officials would be surprised. At like how many outfitters are in a single County. Um, and they're also just not taking, um, they're not taking advantage of what like a, a financial boon that would be for their state and the habitat in their state. You know, if you, if you like, I, I think if, if you make the point of, of entry for um a, like a guide, um, a significant amount of money, like that's going to weed out a lot of the people that are, you know, just, you know, doing this, running this out of, you know, motel right. rooms and, you know, leasing fields. I think you're going to get a lot more, a lot more outfits that are interested in developing the habitat, like buying the land and then, you know, turning it into, into wetlands. So like, that's like, that's definitely one way I see um, to um, creating a little bit more, you know, regulation in, in duck hunting. Well, it's a,
1: it's a topic we could talk about probably for hours. And, you know, I've got friends that are outfitters and I got friends that are, are freelancers. And I've, like I said, I've been on both sides of that. So it's, I see both sides of the argument. And at the end of the day, what do we want? We want more ducks. We want more hunting opportunities. Um, and we want to be able to travel around and experience waterfowl hunting in different places. You know, I, I think, you know, we still hunt around home here, but I definitely have focused more on taking trips to cool places and experiencing mm-hmm. some different ways to to shoot ducks and geese and have put more emphasis on, like you said, on migrating and, and traveling around and, and seeing the birds where they're at and, and finding new places to hunt them. So, but it, it it's not a one size fits all cause that that guy might have a different opinion on how, on how to duck hunt than I do, and that guy has probably got a different opinion and, and wants to do it so uh, differently. So keeping everybody happy is is not always easy, and it's never always gonna gonna work out. But finding the best solution for everybody is important. And uh, you know, let, let's let's ha- let's have you on again to talk about this again in the future. How's that sound?
0: Yeah, and that sounds good. And I mean, you know, I just wanted to say too is like there are so many outfitters that have given like so much back you know, yeah. to, to the resource. This isn't a, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, like, you know, here to, you know, disparage, uh, you know, outfitters at all. I mean, I've learned so much from them, you know, like I, I've become the duck hunter that I have because I got to hunt with like knowledgeable guides, you know, some of my, some of my best friends are are hunting guides and have helped me so much. So, you know, there, there's plenty of good and, and, and what, um, you know guides and outfitters are doing yeah so maybe maybe this the answer is some sort of you know putting some
1: some caps in there some regulations to tighten it down just a little bit Um, maybe that's the answer because i agree with you there Uh, we're out of time though joe genzel ducks unlimited uh it's a a great conversation let's do it again thanks for the time today on the show all right thanks guys sporting journal radio is a division of Macaba llc If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store
3: for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.